Thank you so much. It's good to be back. Last time I was here, I wasn't sure I was going to make it down the road. So um, <laughs> that was that's wonderful to see how well Irvin is paved now. And um, I, we live on King Road in Spring Arbor. So it's just this lovely little drive from King to Albion right on in. And um, always enjoy coming back. My family is not with me because I am preaching the same sermon next week at Central Wesleyan in Jackson. And they love my preaching, but not that much. So they are going to church in Jackson today. Um, but these past couple weeks, I have been excited for warmer weather, for sunshine, and to step out into the increasingly unmasked world. I don't know about you, but yes, yes, things are looking up, right? And things seem to be going better and getting back to normal, and I'm excited about that. Um, I went to a graduation party yesterday, and that was wonderful. I know a lot of us are starting to have parties. Um, the Omars celebrated their 40th anniversary, right? They had a nice party for that. The church! Oh! I thought it was your 40th anniversary. I saw on Facebook and it said like celebrating 40 years. And I'm like, I thought it was yours. Well, that's awesome too. How, how many years? So I have to ask you, how many years is it? How, yeah. Okay. So I wasn't that far off. They're coming. In four years, you guys need to have a party for this great couple right here. Okay. All right, so well, congratulations on your 40-year anniversary. It shows you how closely I read Facebook posts. Um, <laughs> you just scroll. Oh, 40 years, like, keep scrolling. Uh, so, but yeah, congratulations on that. It's so, it's good. Thing, it's like things are looking better. Things are getting back to normal. And yet there's this part of me that while I'm excited to step out into this increasingly unmasked world, there's this... Kind of lingering sorrow that I feel too. That the world that I'm stepping out to isn't really the same world it was before. That, that things have changed. And, um, I, you know, there's just, there's loved ones that are gone now. I don't know if that's true for you, that's true for me. There's loved ones that are gone now. Um, there's friends who are battling serious illness, not necessarily COVID, but other illness. There's been job loss that has happened. And, and, um, and there also seems to be this loss of just civility and trust. I remember watching a political debate between Al Gore and George W. Bush years ago. And afterwards, the political pundits, you know, the commentators, they're talking. And and the biggest critique they had of their first debate was that they agreed too much. (laughs) Seriously. And they said it was too hard for the viewers to tell the difference between the Republican and the Democratic candidate. Because one would say something and the other one would be like, yes, I agree with that. And... And they told him, you guys have to distinguish yourself and argue more. And, you know, like, wow, that's not the way it is anymore, huh? No, there's, there's not only this, like, huge political divide. There's There's been this divide of even understanding how our nation was formed and, and who we are as a people and who we should become. I mean, 
you know, you go to different stores, you listen to different news stations, and it seems like people are on two different planets. And I've seen people respond to these changes with anger. Some have responded with just kind of like this hopelessness, and, and some have responded by just this withdrawal kind of just looking down and like, okay, I'm just going to worry about me and my family and keep us safe because if I look out there, whew, that's too stressful. And I don't know about you, but there's been times in um, the past few months where I was glad I was wearing a mask so people couldn't see my reaction to what they were saying or doing. And then there were times that I wished, wished that people were were better at masking themselves so that I didn't know what they were thinking and feeling. And so there's this part of me that as I step out into the increasingly unmasked world, I'm like, yay! And there's this other part of me that's like, And if I'm truly honest, I feel that way, not just because the world has changed, but I've changed. There's some sorrow and some cynicism and maybe even a little rebellion lurking in my soul that wasn't there before. Or maybe it was there and the pandemic just unmasked it. I want to invite you, I want to introduce you to Ezekiel. Ezekiel um, was a man who lived about born about 622 BC and his autobiography is in the Bible recorded in the book of Ezekiel Um, if you have Bibles you can go ahead and and turn to Ezekiel chapter 37 but we're going to look at his story because Ezekiel lived through a pandemic of sorts and he was courageous enough to find hope and healing on the other side and not just for him but also for his people So we're going to look at how he did that. Ezekiel, he was a priest, a pastor, we would say today in the land of Israel. I don't know if any of you have had been able to take a wonderful trip to Israel, but it's a beautiful land. Um, They have mountains and rivers and lakes, even a Mediterranean coast. I mean, it's a really beautiful place. I can just imagine Ezekiel growing up kind of singing a song like we sang earlier. And he's looking around and being like, this is my father's world, right? And to my listening ears, all nature sings and round me rings the music of the spheres. You know, that I can, I just, he's in God's country, right? But Ezekiel, he, he did not live during the golden time of Israel, in fact, his nation had been in decline for quite some time. And um, when he turned about 25, just became a young man, like it, his nation's decline just snowballed. And people were turning their back on God, and they were turning their backs on each other. And that made them easy to conquer. And so in five... 97 BC, when Ezekiel was about 25, the Babylonians invaded his nation. And they killed a whole lot of people. And they carted Ezekiel and his family 
and some friends off into captivity into Babylon. I think if you've ever felt like your nation was being redefined by other people, Ezekiel felt that. If you've ever felt like your way of life was being taken away from you, Ezekiel felt that. And if you've ever felt like this land that should be your home has no place for you, Ezekiel felt that and then some. He lost his job, he lost his land, he lost his rights. And that's not all he lost. In Ezekiel 25, verse 15, he records this. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, with one blow, I'm about to take away the delight of your eyes. Verse 18. So I spoke to the people in the morning and in the evening. My wife died. If anyone had a right to be filled with grief and cynicism, it was Ezekiel. If anyone had a reason to let death just kind of creep into his soul and harden his heart towards God, it was Ezekiel. But Ezekiel believed that all things work together for good for those who are called according to, who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And he kept believing and he kept letting God lead him. And in chapter 37, God leads Ezekiel through a vision to a valley of dry bones. This is what it says, Ezekiel 37, verse 1. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them. And I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley. The bones were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Have you ever got to the point where it was painful to keep hoping? Where you just have been through so much and been waiting for things to get better for so long, it just hurt to keep hoping? I remember when I was single, um, my mom one year gave me for a birthday present her wedding cake knife. And I could tell like this gift meant the world to her. And she had this beautiful little note about how I hope you'll, I have hope that you'll have a wedding someday and be able to use it. And I was just like, thanks, mom. And I put that wedding knife away as quickly as possible. And I am so thankful for my mom's hope and for my husband, Eric, now. But in that moment, that gift was like, ugh. Because I had got to the point where it was just easier not to hope anymore. 
The bones in Ezekiel's vision were dry, very dry, because it had been a long time. And while Ezekiel could blame sin and others for most of the loss he experienced, it was God who took his wife. God straight up owned that one. And now that same God is asking him to have hope. Son of man, can these bones live? Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Verse 4. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin and I will breathe in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. That's the thing I love about being alone with God. When it's just you and God, you can act crazy and it's all good. So he goes for it. I, you know, I don't know how much hope Ezekiel had, but somehow he musters enough to at least prophesy to these dry bones. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. And the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and there were tendons, and flesh appeared on them. And skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. The bones have come together, and now they look like corpses. Which, in my opinion, is far worse Right? And now, I mean, now they look like people Ezekiel can recognize. But there's no breath in them. God said he would bring them together, put tendons, flesh, and skin on them, and breathe life into them. But he doesn't. He leaves them as corpses. And Ezekiel gets to see every single person that has died. It is one thing to like look up out into the valley of dry bones and and just grapple with the fact that there used to be life there. It is a whole other level of courage to stand there and identify every single thing that has been lost. Everything that has died. But until we identify what has died, we can't ask God to bring it back to life. Until we do the courageous work of identifying what has been lost, what has died, we can't do the courageous work of asking God to bring it back to life. And I believe God wants us to stand in the gap like Ezekiel. 
believe he wants to show you a valley of dry bones. And I don't know which one. Maybe it's the valley of your soul. And there's some hopes or dreams or values or virtues that have died there. And God's waiting for you to identify it so you can ask him to bring it back to life. Maybe it's the valley of your family. Uh, There's relationships that have died or there's a loved one whose spirit is crushed. And God wants you to identify it so you can ask him to bring it back to life. It may be the valley of your community. It may be the valley of your nation. But God is looking for his people who are courageous enough To do this and identify what has died, what has been lost. So we can call the spirit of God to come and breathe life back into it. It takes courage. It's not easy to look at corpses and identify what has died. Ezekiel's lost enough. He doesn't really want to be reminded. And I would bet he doesn't want to be asked to hope by the God who took his wife. And I can just imagine Ezekiel looking at these corpses and fighting to hold on to his faith. This is my father's world. Let me never forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. Ezekiel hangs on and he listens to the word of the Lord again. Verse 9. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. The Hebrew word for breath is the same for spirit. That's why you'll sometimes hear the spirit of God called the breath of God. It's the same word. Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breath, from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me. And breath entered them. They came to life and stood on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are your people. They're the people of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to your people, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you back to your land. 
I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken. I have done it, declares the Lord. Our God is the God of resurrection. He is the God of resurrection. You don't get resurrection, though, until you admit that you've died. (laughs) Or something has died and something needs to be resurrected. He's the God of resurrection. And he's the God that breathes life into the dead parts of our world and into the dead parts of our soul. The Bible records that we, we humans, we have turned our backs on God and we have gone our own way, done our own thing and wreaked havoc in God's beautiful world and in our own lives. And we have brought death into the world. But God did not abandon us. His son Jesus came and took death upon himself and conquered it. He conquered death. He rose from the dead. And when he had his victory over death, it paved the way for God's spirit of life to come. And ever since Jesus rose from the dead, the spirit has been at work in our world, restoring things. I know things look bad now. They're a whole heck of a lot better than they were about 30 AD in the Roman Empire. When a third of all people were slaves. The spirit of the Lord is making progress. And he makes progress in our world. And for those who receive him. For those who admit their need for God. That they have sinned and gone their own way. And accept Jesus as their savior. For those people the spirit comes. And dwells in us. And he begins to breathe life into our souls. And produce good fruit. Fruit like joy and love and peace and patience and kindness, faithfulness, self-control. I'm still working on that one. We, the Spirit and I, are still working on that one. Generosity. Contentment. This is the fruit the Spirit produces in us. And one day the Spirit will finish His work. When He has totally restored our earth... To a place where there's no more sorrow and no more death. And he has totally restored our bodies so that we are fully healthy and eternally alive. That is the good news. But in the meantime, we live in this tension where we experience the life the Spirit brings, but also the death that has not been fully wiped away. The Apostle Paul describes this in Roman chapter in Romans chapter eight. In Romans eight eighteen, he says this: "I consider our present sufferings not worth the glory." He's talking about when all things are made new. Not worth the glory that will be revealed in us. For The creation wakes in eager expectation for this. We know that the whole creation has been growing, groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. 
creation is groaning, just waiting to fully give birth to this newly restored world. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we do not have the full harvest of the Spirit. We have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. I love that Paul writes here our adoption as sons. It sounds sexist today, but in Paul's day, it was an incredibly liberating message. You see, in Paul's day, daughters did not have the same rights as sons. Daughters did not have full rights. They did not get full inheritance. And so Paul writes to a Christian church like this one filled with men and women and children. And he says, you will be adopted as a son. God adopts you as a son and God adopts you as a son. And you have full rights and you receive the full inheritance. Nothing your father has will be withheld from you. Not even the redemption of your body. Verse 24, for in this hope we were saved. Amen? Amen. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. For who hopes what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. It's that waiting for it patiently part that gets me. Yeah, I want to reap the full harvest of the Spirit now. I want our world to reap the full harvest of the Spirit now. But instead, I must wait for it patiently. But waiting for it patiently doesn't mean doing nothing. Ezekiel had to wait patiently 60 years for God to restore his nation. But he did not do nothing. He let God show him a valley of dry bones. And he partnered with God in calling the Spirit to call, to bring his people back to life. I love the next verse, Romans 8, 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit intercedes for us. Do you think Ezekiel knew how to bring those dry bones back to life? He didn't even know if they could be brought back to life. But he followed God's crazy advice prophesied to the dry bones and prophesied to the spirit of God calling the spirit to come intercede and breathe life back into what had died in the same way verse 26 in the same way the spirit helps us in our weakness we do not know what we ought to pray for but the spirit himself intercedes for us with wordless groans he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. For the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. 
Romans 8.26. So I'm going to ask you, will you be courageous enough to let God show you a valley of dry bones today? Like right now in a few minutes when we pray. And will you be crazy enough to ask the Spirit of God to come and breathe life into the place? I don't know what valley God wants to show you. Maybe the valley of your soul has a corpse lying there that's tainting your river of joy. Maybe there's a valley in your family or community. Even this church. You guys are going through a transition, aren't you? Yeah. Or maybe it's the valley of our nation. But I know that God is looking for courageous sons and daughters who will look up and identify what has lost and pray for the Spirit to come and bring it back to life. So will you join me in inviting the Spirit Heavenly Father, this has been a rough year. And for some of us, it's been many rough years. But we praise you because you are the God that makes all things new. And God, I pray that you will give us hope. Some of us are in a place where we're feeling very optimistic. Some of us are feeling cynical and we need our hope restored. God, give us hope that will endure and faith that will endure no matter what we have faced or what we will face. And God, we ask that now you open our eyes to see what it takes courage to see. Draw our attention to the valley of bones that you want us to see. I'm just going to pause for a moment and let God's, God speak to you. And now, Spirit of God, we call upon you to come. We know that you are sent out by the Father. And so we say, come Holy Spirit and intercede for us in the way that only you can. And breathe life where life has died. 
breathe life back into the dreams and relationships and virtues and values and freedoms and whatever it is, God, that needs to be brought back to life. Spirit of God, come and breathe life. Thank you for your work. Give us patience as we wait upon you. This is my father's world. Why should my heart be sad? The Lord is king. Let heavens ring. God reigns. Let the earth be glad. Amen.